When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This is the Bird Shop Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, Uplander, and Dakota 283. On this episode of the show, we're heading out west, mixing in a little chucker and hun hunting conversation with Keith Marcotte. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 159. Welcome to it. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We've got a great show for you, which we will get to in just a moment. A couple of things to run by you. Number one, first and foremost, Spotify. That's right. If you're listening to this on Spotify, recently activated a rating system similar to the Apple iTunes app. You can give star ratings for shows. Many people still, I think most people listen on iTunes, but for those of you listening on Spotify, where I prefer to listen to my podcast, you can now rate the Birdshot podcast, and I would really appreciate you considering leaving us a rating if you're enjoying the show. All you have to do is go to the Birdshot podcast, look that up, show page towards the top right underneath the Birdshot logo. There should be a little star rating. You can tap on that and leave us a rating. Thank you for considering that for those listening on Spotify. And if you're listening on iTunes or anything else and haven't left the Birdshot Podcast a rating or review, that's always an option for you. And I certainly appreciate it when I see new ratings and reviews from listeners of the show. It's not only nice to see, but it does help the Birdshot Podcast in our continued growth. And especially as we near the end of 2021 with changing over to the Birdshot Podcast this year, and lots of change and lots of growth. It's been great to see. And I appreciate all those ratings and reviews that I see for the show. All right, Patreon giveaway, December 23rd today. Still got time to enter, become a Patreon supporter, and you will be eligible for the December giveaway, a 2022 hunt at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp in Minnesota. 
It's going to be a fun one. Getting more and more Patreon supporters every day. I cannot thank you enough for choosing to support the show in that way. And these giveaways are just a little token of appreciation for all those that have chose to make that contribution to the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you very much. An Onyx Elite card up for giveaway in January. And we'll be lining up more stuff after that. So if you're interested in supporting the show as a Patreon supporter, patreon.com forward slash birdshot. A couple different tiers check that out as low as five bucks a month gets you entered into the monthly giveaway and you are helping us grow the birdshot podcast so thank you very much for your consideration there onyx huge supporter and partner of this show did send me a bunch of onyx elite cards so there's going to be a few of those up for grabs for anybody any listener of the birdshot podcast I've got my eyes and ears open for meaningful contributions to the show, various guest suggestions, ratings, reviews, some sort of contribution to the show. I hear from a lot of listeners. We have a lot of engagement and a lot of people that I really feel are looking out for the show and spreading the good word, and I really appreciate it. So just know that I've got some Onyx Elite cards available for folks, and I'm working on a couple of other giveaway ideas to put a few of those up for grabs. So thanks to Onyx for that. And we're going to set up some bird hunters with an Onyx subscription for 2022 in the near future. All right, I think that's enough for today. Like I said, it's December 23rd. I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Hope you're spending some time with the family and friends, taking some time to slow down, relax, be happy, maybe get out in the woods. I'm not sure what my plans are. I'll definitely be spending some time outside, enjoying the onset of winter in the North Country. I may or may not have a shotgun in my hand. I don't know. I don't really have too much for plans yet other than taking it easy and spending some time with family and friends. So I hope you're doing the same. Good luck if you do get out and go hunting around the Christmas time. We will be back next week with one more episode before the new year. So I'll wait to wish everybody a happy new year until then. But for now, we're going to talk to my friend Keith Marcotte. He's been a longtime listener of the show. Keith and I have communicated a fair amount over the years. We were fortunate enough to connect this year for a hunt out of Pine Ridge Grouse Camp in Minnesota when Keith was out this way in early October. We'll talk a little bit about that, and we really dive into Keith and his bird dogs, his western hunting, chucker hunting, hun hunting, and all the things that make people like Keith and myself happy. Bird dogs, double guns, upland birds, cool places. Had a fun conversation with Keith. I think you'll enjoy it. So once again, from myself and the two bird dogs, Rose and Hartley, Merry Christmas, everybody. And with that said, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot Podcast, Keith Marcotte. Welcome you to the show, Keith Marcotte. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, the snow is falling here. I'm looking at a white blanket outside. It seems like it's been a long time since you and I were tromping the woods of Minnesota, even though it wasn't that long ago, but I guess that's a good thing because that means I've been busy and doing a lot of stuff. You've been keeping busy <laughs> since you. we went grouse hunting this yeah. fall? Yeah, I certainly have. And, and, and what I remember about our time in Minnesota that it was a hell of a lot hotter than it is right now, at least here in Wyoming. So, yeah, was that early October? Yeah, it was. It was the f- first week, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was a pretty. We've. I guess it's been becoming. I don't know. I, I think I could say it's feels like the norm. Like we have some pretty hot early seasons here, and you know the cover is always thick and stuff. And I don't. I don't think that when you and I were hunting, it wasn't. Was it scorching hot or maybe you, did you just start to catch some of the 
decent weather. We had some cool mornings, but most of the days were quite warm. Uh, I think the very end of the week that I, maybe the day that I hunted with you, actually, it had, it had turned cloudy and, and, and it had gotten wet. I think it had rained overnight some, so we had better setting conditions, which was good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, that does, that does feel like, like quite some time ago and the weather, the weather has changed and you are now back out West. Where's, uh, where's home Keith? Home now is in Wyoming. And have you, how long have you lived out there? I've lived in Wyoming for 23 years, I believe now, first in the Southeast part of the state. And now I'm kind of in the North central. And you are, you fully retired now? I am fully retired as of, well, it'll be almost a year. It's a year in January. How's retired life treating your upland hunting? Quite well, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've, I started my uh, partial retirement in 2017 by taking a kind of a sabbatical, if you will, from work okay. and, and doing, I did a three-month trip where I hunted, the numbers are a little fuzzy now, but it was something like nine states and 11 species over three months, uh, pulling my trailer and, and just going from bird hunting spot to bird hunting spot, which was something everybody could aspire to. It was a lot of fun. But, uh, now I, I, you know, I, I hunt, I try and hunt pretty often, uh, in terms of, you know, every once in a while the dogs need some days off and I do a fair number of shorter days, you know, half day, but, but I'm, I'm out, I've been out in the field probably pushing 50 days so far this year. That's good. That's good. That's yeah. Very very fortunate. I, as my schedule has, has sort of allowed like more flexibility in the fall. I, I mean, if you, if you can being able to hunt more times, even if they're shorter days, I mean, I, it sets up really well. Cause I just, you know, being out there on, on more days and being able to kind of manage the dogs run and stuff. And you just, I really feel like you get a, a, a feel for the season versus if you got to cram everything into a couple of days and you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. And the other thing that I try to do is I try to be really cognizant of the covers that I hunt in terms of the time of day that I, you know, see what I see. If I have good success in a place in the morning, but then not in the afternoon, then then if I only have a ha- an afternoon to go, you know, I make sure I pick places where I've had success in the afternoon because a lot of times those places don't hold birds in the morning. Right. So, yeah. Is that, do you th- find that to be particularly true about like a specific type of hunting out West or kind of, I mean, obviously you're hunting mainly your home turf. That's what you're doing most right. of the time, but I know you do a lot of traveling. Hunting. Right. Um, you know, I mean, one of the birds that, that is iconic for that, if you ask me is woodcock. I mean, they're, they're definitely at different places during the, you know, different times of the day when they're feeding or not Um, moving around in the low light. Right. Exactly. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, most birds, you know, they have a kind of a daily calendar that they're, you know, when they get up and start moving around and, you know, when they're feeding and when they're loafing. And, and that's, I think it's true pretty much of, of all of them. The, probably the differences are things like, oh, like chuckers, for instance, they, at least in my experience, they just sort of, they want to feed close to where they're going to, you know, loaf. And, and they could do that by just walking relatively short distances. Yep. Whereas other birds like sharp tails are flying to and fro, you know, yeah. during the day. So yep. 
so it, it could be much further apart. Yeah, yeah. With the idea that, I mean, energy conservation is paramount Absolutely. to all game birds. They've got to they've got to do what they can. But that's, I mean, that relates back to so many things. Like as far as when you're looking for bird cover, you're looking for, for most times, it's pretty specific wherever that place is that has the most diversity where the bird can get all its needs met in one place. I mean, that's, that's bird cover. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's where we, that's what we're looking for. And like you mentioned in the case of sharp tails, you know, they may be roosting in the grass up on the Hills and then they, it's not, not that strenuous for them to drop down into an egg field and a place where they might feed and then they go back and roost. But yeah, yeah exactly. Those are the, those are the bird behavior items that can make you a better hunter. Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, – and it's similar to the, the seasonal variation that you started this topic with is that, you know, you can go look for – as you well know, you could go look for grouse in November in the same place you were hunting them in October, you know, early October, and you're going to be surprised at how they're not there, <laughs> you know, so. Yep, very much so. What So what, what point of the season, like feel-wise, are you in out west right now? Is it prime time? Uh, it it's yeah for for chuckers and huns i would say kind of mid to late november and then uh into december is is prime time january can be really iffy just because i mean the the snow doesn't stop you know unless it gets very deep the snow doesn't stop right. stop me from hunting chuckers and huns but <laughs> it's it's really often more a matter of road conditions um, if sure. you can't get there, you can't hunt. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I definitely, we're going to, we're going to dive into some of that hunting stuff, but I want to, I want to set the stage as far as how you became such an avid upland bird hunter and why you find yourself taking these trips and chasing these birds. So where did it start for you, Keith? Uh, I grew up on Long Island in New York. Um, and back at a time when Long Island, at least Eastern Long Island, where I grew up was still, you know, lots of woods and, and, an open really? an open country and and so i you know and in a in a day that you hear baby boomers some of us at least talk about with a you know a little glint in our eye about days when yeah. when when your mother kicked you out of the house in the morning and said be back by dinner and you then you went and you went to the woods and played and fished and made spears to to go collect frogs and shot squirrels with a pellet gun and that kind of thing and um so that's how I started. That's how I started hunting. And I didn't, I never even saw a bird dog in person until I got to college, which was for me upstate New York. And I, and I fell in with some guys that were pretty into deer hunting mostly, but grouse hunting. And, and, uh, and we really did not target woodcock, even though, as it turns out, there were plenty around. Um, and so we, we kind of did it all in those days. What, I guess what the Europeans would call rough shooting. We, we hunted, we went out with a shotgun and we shot squirrels and rabbits and, you know, the occasional grouse, of course, those were a lot harder to hit in the air. So, yeah. uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah. and I, and I met a guy who had a Springer Spaniel and he took me pheasant hunting and I just fell in love with the dog aspect of it. So, uh, got my first Brittany, which was like a backyard bred Brittany when I was in graduate school which was out in Washington state and started, and okay. started. So you moved across the country there. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I started hunting pheasants out there, which probably would surprise a lot of people, but it was put and take hunting because I was in Western Washington. 
uh, on, you know, along the coast, and there really wasn't a, a viable uh, wild population the way there is on the east side of the Cascades. So, but we hunted, and you know, it was my first bird dog, and I was really learning learning the ropes. And then, as let's see, as time went by, I did my first ever destination trip. I was now back in New York working, and I did a trip, a buddy and I, for reasons. I can't even imagine what I was thinking at the time, but we, we drove 35 hours to Texas to hunt quail. <laughs> and, uh, that's ambitious. Yeah. Well, I had, I had, ac- <laughs> I had access to land because I was an oil field geologist and we had some, okay. So we, there's something, so there was a connection and, and I had access to this ranch, which was a huge place that in those days, at least was just covered up in Bob whites and blue quail. Wow. And we drove all the way down there and, as my vet pointed out to me when I came back with my one dog, he asked me, you know, well, so were you trying to kill this dog? Uh, because, cause, <laughs> cause I didn't, I literally had no idea what I was doing. I hunted the same dog every day for five days in 70 degree weather. And he got more, you know, spiky seeds in his eyes and yeah, cuts yeah. and hit barbed wire. And I mean, literally he slept for 35 hours on the way home. I don't think he got up. <laughs> I don't think he got up to pee. So, um, so that got me into my second dog. I, I got, a, I got, a, I got another Brittany like pretty much right after, um, we came back from that trip and uh, actually started, that was a French Brittany just by dumb luck. Hmm. Early in the day, um, and anybody who knows French Britney's, a guy named Dave Follinsby, he used to be the editor, the first editor of Gundog. Um, he basically was thought to be more or less responsible for reintroducing, if you will, the Britney, the, the true French Britney back into the U.S. Okay, yeah. And the kennel where he kept all his dogs happened to be about 30 minutes from my house. And so I got a pup there. And then I actually started breeding that dog. That was the the one and only bitch that I've ever had. And I had a few litters out of her. And and so my friends got French Britneys, and and I was in Britneys for thirty five years, I guess. My my last French Britney just passed away this this summer. And now I might be blanking on this, but <laughs> I know you have the young, I know you have the young setter. Do you have another dog still? Yeah, I have two. I have two setters, both Llewellyns. Okay. Um, okay. The the one came out of Laurel Mountain, which is no longer in business. They were in the UP of Michigan, and I would have almost certainly gotten another dog from them because Timber is my uh, there. There we go. Yeah, Timber is my older dog. He's seven, um, and he's great, great dog. And then the younger dog, Quest, who's just shy of a year and a half old now. He's he's out of uh, High Fly and Kennels in Mott, North Dakota. How did you come across High Flying? Because I remember we had talked about that. I had heard of that name, but yeah, I I just started uh, you know googling Llewellyns and looking for kennels, and um, one of the things I came across was High Flying Kennels, and I talked to Carla. It's the husband wife team, Carla and Greg, and Carla kind of runs the the breeding, the you know puppy raising, and Greg is a Gosh, he's a trainer. He's a guide. He's, you know, he's, he's kind of all, all got the whole rest of it, you know, covered in terms of the bird dogs. I had a really great conversation with Carla early and probably the thing that sold it pretty quick was I asked her for some references 
And she copied me on an email that she sent out to, I don't know, 15 or 20 of her previous or existing, you know, clients. And she said, you know, hey, this guy is asking for references. You know, if any of you have time and are so inclined, it would appreciate it if you'd shoot him an email. Uh, And every single person on the list got back to me, got back to me within like two days. That's cool. And they all, I mean, I, everyone sent an email and I wound up talking to maybe four or five of them on the phone and, and, um, I was sold. They were all, most of them were on their, you know, second, third, fourth dog from her, uh, from them, I should say. And, and they all seemed to be pretty happy. You know, that's, I haven't thought about that aspect of looking for breeders and kennels in a while as I'm kind of like pretty well squared away on that front. But I think that's a, that's a good thing to bring up like that's a great way to go about maybe it's obvious to folks that are out there looking for bird dogs they've heard that advice before but just it sounds like a really good idea when you're asking for references and then sort of paying attention like you know like if the if she does something like that where it's just hey get back to this guy and everybody does i mean yeah yeah that's a that's a good sign yeah yeah and i think you 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 know i don't know if whether or not we were intending to go down this this rabbit hole but but i think that a lot of people don't do themselves, you know, justice by, by not having a good set of questions ready to talk to, whether it's the breeder or the, or the people that more, probably more, more importantly, frankly, the the references that you talk to, because knowing what's important to you and, and, you know, what you're looking for in a dog and, and, and what kind of birds you're likely to hunt and where you're likely to hunt, all those are important questions. I mean, I, I would ask, everybody like and it's funny if you ask this question so how far did your dog range or you ask the breeder how far do your dogs typically range my experience is that virtually everyone will say oh you know not there they don't go that big 50 yards 75 yards and it's not until you say well that's not what i'm looking for i want a dog that goes much bigger than that then all of a sudden the breeder will laugh and say Wow, you're the first person I've ever talked to who wants a dog that runs bigger than stuff, you know. <laughs> and and you know, like most people are really worried, especially guys who haven't had a lot of pointing dogs. Yeah, you know, they're yep. they're worried that they're not that you know they're going to lose control. They're, you know, I want to be able to this this whole idea. And I know Nick that you're not in this bucket because I've hunted with you and your dogs. Well, and, I, w- I but yeah, it wasn't that all that long ago when I. I was clueless. <laughs> yeah. But, but a lot of people say, you know, I hunt with a pointing dog because I want to see him point. Well, I hunt with a pointing dog cause I want him to find birds. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's not finding birds if he's within 50 yards of me while I'm hunting truckers and hunts. I mean, he may find some, but that's right. not, I, I, you know, that, that when you think about that, if you want your pointing dog within 50 yards, then you're the one doing all the looking, right? You, it's, it, it depends on where you walk. Because if that dog yeah. is going to stay that close to you, you better be walking him into birds. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, there, yeah. There's a lot of different directions we could go there, and and I, yeah, I, I recall when I had Hartley, you know, just really not knowing what to expect, even though I had a great resource in in the breeder of of my dogs, Jerry Coulter, and he was, you know, he was answering questions. But it's just one of those things you just don't know until you know and you, you've really got to spend some time on the ground and in the woods and it doesn't take all that long to and i think a gps caller can really help but mm-hmm. i mean cutting a dog loose in the grouse woods can be 
intimidating just what you know when you can't can't see them or hear them and i've always run a bell on my dog but i remember the first time hartley was out of bell range and didn't pop right back out i was kind of like <laughs> had that feeling like uh oh and and again a gps caller i think man for peace of mind and and being able to relax and give your dog the freedom to find birds as you said yeah, keith which right. is which is what we want him to do that's uh that really helped me and it comes with time but i i, re- I was hunting with a, a friend last year his first pointy dog we're going grouse hunting and the dog ran about 10 yards up the trail jumped into the woods and immediately my my buddy started calling her back <laughs> and i was just kind of like oh boy we're gonna have to do some we're gonna have some coaching here right and and we worked on it and actually we shot some we shot some grouse over that dog that weekend so it was really fun but it's it it brought me back to not that long ago when i was in his shoes and just knowing the the development and that it takes both on the handler's part and the the bird dog's part yeah for sure and and you have to go ahead ahead. i I was going to say you have to you sort of have to understand what what a dog is is doing when he's when he's not in in view and you have to, you have to trust the dog. I, so quest who, as I said, is not quite a year and a half old. He's kind of settled in when we're hunting grouse. I mean, uh, chuckers and hunts, he's settled into where he's probably averaging 125 to maybe as much as 200 yards. And just earlier this week, I, I had him on the ground in, in some, you know, fairly thick sage and, you know, he was out of sight for a while and he's actually very good about checking in. And, and when he wasn't around for a little while, I, I just looked down and he, you know, he was out at two and a quarter. So I started watching and, and he got to 250 and, and I suddenly it was like 275, 300. Yeah. And anyway, long story short, when, you know, I, I blew the whistle and he didn't turn. So I just shut up and, and at 367, he went on point, and and I and walking almost a quarter of a mile through sagebrush is not something you can do fast. <laughs> yeah. But I I got there, and he was holding a covey of chuckers. And wow, you know, and you can bet, at least I would bet that somewhere at the edge of his edge of his normal range, he found some ground scent. Yeah, uh, you know the birds had been moving through, and and he did what he should do. He followed his nose, and you know when he got to the birds, he he stopped and waited for me. So, you know, if, if I had been somebody who hadn't been around him so long, I probably would have, you know, hit the button on the collar to, you to, may have to been turn him, on you know? Him yeah. Back. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, it's just, it's knowing the dog and knowing the birds. That's what makes the difference. Yeah. And I do, I mean, I mentioned it before, but you're reading off these yardages and stuff and I know you're running a GPS collar. I mean, that can be really helpful on multiple levels because you just you sort of get in tune, like you're saying, you get in tune with the dog and you're glancing at the yardage and you you know where his his range is and then you you know immediately you kind of start processing like he's outside of that, but because you you know you can relocate him and find him, you gave him that freedom and it led to a bird point. I mean that's right. not to be overlooked. I don't think it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very useful and effective tool. Yeah, and I uh, and I think the other the other thing is I I should point out maybe in my own defense that I am not that guy that walks around with his hand held in his hand and watches how right. far away the dog is all the time because I wear a watch and it 
buzzes when he goes on point. And yep. other than that, I don't typically look at it very often unless I just, you know, you get that gut feeling. Well, mm-hmm. God, he's, he's been out of touch for quite a while, you know, and, and in the worst case, that could mean he, he's running a small herd of mule deer, you know, sure. which yeah. I don't want him doing. But um, yep. most of the time, it's just that he's, he's following his nose. Yeah. So after decades of Brittany's, what, what steered you to <laughs> want to change something? I'm kind of like looking ahead at my future, thinking like, you know, I'm following in your footsteps here, Keith. Am I going to want to try something different after 30 years? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think I've always had this thing about setters and pointers and, and, you know, how kind of classic and classy they are when they're on point. And, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong. I had some, I, I'm sitting here looking at, I have, a small section of my wall wall in my office that's dedicated to what I often refer to as the best chucker dog that ever walked the planet. And that was a friend, <laughs> that was a French Brittany that just was, man, he was great. Um, uh, he's been gone now for gosh, I don't know, 15 years probably, but uh, I, I didn't have any complaints about my Brittany's, but at some point I just kind of went, you know, I just once would like to look out across the land and, see a tail sticking straight up that's you know higher than the, the sagebrush is yeah and 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 you know i had a i have a good buddy who had a an english setter almost all white white and lemon that he bought as a started dog when his when he had to put his lab down unexpectedly and i mean that dog was that was a 400 yard dog for sure. He was, he was like shot out of a cannon when you put him on the, on the ground and, and, uh, but boy, could he find birds and, and pointed like a million bucks. And I just said, you know, one day I'm going to just once before I die, I'm going to have something like that. And, um, so I got timber and timber turned out to be great. And then when it came time for the next replacement, I really, I frankly fought my head quite a bit about, whether to go back and get another Brittany. And in fact, I talked yeah. to, uh, I talked to Trinity Kennels. I, I talked okay. to Les Garbo, which is where I got my last Brittany from. And in the end, I just, I just kind of went, you know, I think I'm going to go with a, with another setter. And I, part of, part of it, and a lot of people will probably tell me I'm crazy about this, but I, and it, it's based on one data point or it was based on one data point, but my setter timber his nose was like, is uh, like on another plane compared to any Brittany I ever had. And I don't wow. know. Wh- and I don't know whether that's because he's a setter or because he just is gifted. I mean, he's, he pins birds from so far away that it's, it's incredible. And, um, and I just, I really like that for hunting big country. Yeah. It's, it can almost be a detriment. He often will point, and not move. And by the time you get there, the birds are gone or maybe they were there yesterday. I don't, I don't sure. know. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of amazing, but, uh, but he's, his, his nose is just the best I've seen out of any of my dogs anyway. Yeah. That, I think about that stuff often, like the differences between one dog to another. And, you know, you might breed is an obvious one that stands out as a difference. So you have like this tendency to sort of group things and say, and look at it. But I think for most of us, like we really, we see and know very well, so few dogs, you know, in the grand scheme of things that it's really hard to say, 
whether that difference is just a result of one dog to another dog or if it's related to a breed or something, but it's, I mean, that stuff is going on in our heads all the time. Right. Interestingly, when I was having those thoughts, I talked to two different breeders, a breeder, both, both breeders of French Britneys. And I said, you know, I don't know what you think, but this is kind of what I'm thinking that, that, that this, this, and the, interestingly, one guy said, you know, absolutely. Britneys are, are not setters or pointers. Setters and pointers are bred to do one thing. They're, you know, whether or not it's that they have better noses or they hold their heads higher or whatever it is, they are better bird finders in most instances than any Brittany or any versatile dog is going to be. And the other breeder said, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, I've, I've had Brittany's that, you know, have fantastic noses, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. And so, you know, and I, and I, like I said, I don't know what the truth is. I just know what I see. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to fall back on, you know, there's superstar dogs in just about every breed. And if you're lucky enough to have one, I mean, it's, that's, that's all that matters, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually the truth of the matter is, so this dog that I was mentioning that I just had to put down this, this past summer, the previous time I was in Minnesota, which was probably three years ago, he would have been like 10 at that point. Yeah. I had a buddy who came to visit me while I was in Minnesota and he had never shot a rough grouse. And he said, you know, I just really want to shoot a rough grouse. And and we hunted for a day over his dog, which is an English pointer. And I hunted over my dogs. And then like three days later, when he still hadn't shot a grouse, he said, you know, I just want to go out with you and your dog. I just want, I want an opportunity to shoot a grouse. And, and he said, which dog should we take? And I said, you know what, if you want an opportunity to shoot a grouse, we're going to take the Brittany because the way he works, the, the way he covers ground and the way he treats those, those grouse is way more likely to get you an actual shot than the way my setter does it. Cause, because he points, it takes you longer to get to them. The birds are running, you know, maybe they f- don't flush before you get there, but they flush at 50 yards, yeah. you know, whereas the Brittany would point, wait for you. And then when you got there, he'd start creeping, you know, and, stick and, with and, them. Yeah, and yep. he'd stick with them. And, and you, even if they flushed, you were in range. So, yeah, that's an interesting thing with roughed grouse. And I'm sort of going through that with like my dogs. And I mean, it's not uncommon to have one nailed, but what I'm seeing with my younger dog, Rose, she has, I don't know if it's more of a desire or just an a flat out ability, but she really sticks with birds. And I, I pretty much just let her self relocate because she's shown me enough to that. She's, I know she's not trying to put birds into the air without me there. Mm -hmm. So, but she moves and she sticks with birds and that stickiness in, in sticking with the bird, but not putting too much pressure on them. I mean, it just flat out results in more shooting opportunities on, on grouse, I think. Yeah, I think, I think it does. And I, I honestly, I feel like, I mean, I've been hunting rough grouse for 40 years and I feel like the birds in, in over the last 10 years are way more likely to move out on you. I mean, I think that they used to just, they'd flush wild, you know, but what if, but if a good dog stuck them, they were, they were likely to be pretty much right there. Whereas the last you know, I only get out to hunt Minnesota maybe every three years, but the last three times, 
sticking a bird that was like within, you know, 10 or 20 yards and having it still be there when you got to it seems to be the exception rather than the rule now. Yeah. That's kind of interesting with it. Like if I spend 50 days in the grouse woods, you know, I'm going to see everything. I'm going to see mm-hmm. a bird that moved. I'm going to see a bird that got right. stuck and you just like sort of the, the nuances don't stand out as much as maybe they would to you who's, you know, only doing it every three years. That's right. kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, this year we definitely saw woodcock running more than I ever did before. And yeah. I don't know whether that was the conditions cause it was very dry or what it was, but we had, you know, when I was hunting at, at Pine Ridge with you and with, you know, the other guys that, are, that uh, we had as guides, I mean, it seemed like a lot of the woodcock were walking out from under points, which I mean, heck, Every old, every old bird dog trainer knows that, you know, there's nothing better than a woodcock because they just, they'll let the dog get within three feet and stay there until you get there. But yep. that, that doesn't seem to be the case or it wasn't this year. Yeah. I feel like there's been a, there's been a, since I've, again, last 10 years or whatever, been paying attention. People say that woodcock run more now than they used to. I obviously don't know what they did mm-hmm. 20 years ago because I wasn't chasing them, but I will say that. I do think that this year there was a noticeable uptick in like movement after mm-hmm. a point uh, from Woodcock. And yeah, I, I don't know how the dry conditions or, you know, might influence that or whether we were finding them in weird places or what, but yeah, right. I, I would agree. I would agree with that observation. Yeah. yeah. Were your Britney's kind of big run and smooth running dogs? Um, the one that I said was the best chucker dog ever. He definitely was. He was okay. kind of a, he was sort of a 150 to 200 yard dog. I would say that my most of them were more in the category of being what I call busy. <laughs> they 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 covered a lot of ground, but in a relatively compact area. Okay. And they and they have a tendency. They had a tendency to range much further in terms of width than in distance away to the front. So, you know, they might be running at 50 or 75 yards, but they were also going, you know, a hundred yards in either direction to the side. So you're yep. still, you're still covering a lot of, a lot of ground. So I think what you're, I think that description is maybe what I might conjure up, but I asked the question because I, in, and I mentioned this before hunting with Brandon Moss out in Montana, I, I think his Britneys were the first ones I ever hunted over. And I mean, they were big, smooth running dogs to the point where I was just like, Oh wow. I didn't know. I didn't know Britneys did that. And that's just my lack of experience. But yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen Britneys run big out in the Western country. Yeah. And I think that, I think that the, well, two things I would say, one American Britneys, you know, uh, as as opposed to French Britneys, having been more bred toward field trialing, uh, they are bigger running dogs. They're bigger dogs, first of all, and they're bigger yeah. running dogs. Um, and the other thing I would observe is that any dogs, in my Britneys included, that any dogs that are worth their salt will adjust to the cover. And so if yeah. you're if you're hunting big open, you know, country, they ought to be getting out further because they can still see you from further and they're comfortable. Do you think you're the dog that? was the best chucker dog of all time. Do you think it was because he ran bigger and found more birds or did he just have a lot of things going on? Nose range, everything. Yeah. He was, he was kind of the whole package. I mean, I, I tell people that, uh, you know, I had seen him point chuckers where I, where I knew 
I, cause I watched him from a, you know, like a, a bench up above and I was looking down on him while running through Sage in the snow. And I saw him slam on to a point where I could actually see the chuckers in front of him. And they yeah. were probably at 50 yards in that particular case that I'm thinking of. So I know a lot of people, when you say, Oh, my dog pointed from 50 yards, they say, well, he probably pointed from 20 yards and the birds walked off. Well, probably a lot of times that's true, but in, in at least I documented from my own, to my own satisfaction, that I he, gotcha. he yeah. was, he was pointing birds, you know, covey birds from further than that. He was one of the things that made him a great chucker dog was he was an absolutely tenacious retriever. Mm. And as you probably know, when you hunt chuckers, lots of times you're shooting from the edge of a pretty significant drop off and you can't just walk and down. You, and grab yeah. You need a dog that's going to go collect, you know, hunt dead hard and, and collect those birds. And he was really good at that. And, and he, he was just, he was just driven. He had the greatest prey drive of any dog I've ever seen, which made him a pain in the ass around rabbits and porcupines. <laughs> but, yeah. but, porcupines too, huh? Yeah. He, I think it took him four, four tries before, you know, I always say he was like the first one got him and he said, yeah, that one got me, but I'm going to kill this next one. You know, And, <laughs> and, yep. and, and that happened four times before he finally started just barking at them when he went down. <laughs> Do you see a lot of them out there? Oh yeah. 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 Really? Yeah. In the sage flats and stuff, or maybe they're, not flats, but they're, they're nine out of 10 times. They're in a draw in some woody cover. They're, they, they spend okay. their, yeah, they yeah. Spend their That's days right. yeah. in I can picture buff, that. buffalo berries and, mm-hmm. and that yep. kind of stuff. Yeah. I actually recall a Montana sharp tail hunt was, we were working, there was like a big butte and coming off that were all these little draws and coolies, all mm-hmm. buffalo berry choke yep. cherries and all kinds yep. of stuff. And my buddy's short hair was on point and I think my buddy may have been, my buddy Garrett may have been limited out or something. I was walking in to flush this bird and I, I peered in there and his short hair, who's, he's got a nose for all game. Right. <laughs> doesn't matter what it is. His short hair was, I mean, face to face with a giant yeah. porcupine. And somehow, which is sort of uncharacteristic for this dog, Surly, we got him out there. We got him out of there without incident. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a good hangout for a porcupine. Yeah. It's pretty, I, I did a uh, hunt in Montana. The first day we were there, we were hunting huns and uh, well, sharp tails as well, but mostly we were targeting huns. There were three of us. We had four dogs on the ground for the first morning walk. And by 10 o'clock we had three dogs had been, had gotten spiked by porcupines and one of them had also killed a skunk all in the oh, same man. all in the same walk <laughs> like yeah that was memorable <laughs> that's for sure yeah so all right i want i want to talk kind of dive in we've been talking a lot of dogs i want to dive mm-hmm. into a little bit of the bird hunting you mentioned chucker and huns mm-hmm. and like as it relates to say you were going to go out and hunt tomorrow are you are you going out on hunts where you can you, – your mixed bag, chucker and huns? I mean, are you hunting them on the same walks? Are they in the same general area? How do you set up your hunts? Yeah. Well, first of all, if I was going to – I mean, I can't hunt chuckers uh, from where I live without driving two, okay. or, th- two or three hours. 
Okay. We we have Huns here, uh, so I I probably hunt Huns more on a kind of one-off basis during the week if I'm going out for a morning, or whatever. I I do a lot of short you know overnights where I go you know I'll go drive over to Chucker Country, yeah. you know hunt for a day, spend a night, hunt for a half a day, and then come back that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, in, in the right cover in the right areas, you could definitely hunt them. Not in all covers. Um, I have a lot of covers where I hunt chuckers and never see a hunt. Um, and I have covers where we hunt huns and never see chuckers. But there's plenty of overlap uh, where you can find both. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Okay. Yeah, I, f- I feel like it may may just be my ignorance on Western hunting, but I feel like I don't hear a lot of people talking about chuckers and huns. Oh, wait a minute now. Is it chuckers or chucker? <laughs> I say chuckers. Okay. With a, with <laughs> I think I, 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 yeah, I saw that. I saw that the other day, and it got me thinking because I knew we were going to be chatting, chatting today. I, I don't know. I'll leave. I'll leave it to you, the expert. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know which is right. I think. I mean, when you, when you think about <laughs> they, it, they both kind of sound right. Right. And and the thing is that when people talk about Hungarian partridge, you know, nobody just says Hungarian. They might say Hun, but yeah. but it's Hungarian partridge and chucker partridge. They're two different kinds right. of par- partridges. Right. So I wouldn't say chuckers partridges, you know, so that's that's yeah. kind of how I come up with just saying chuckers. So if you say you're going partridge hunting, you might be talking about Hun, Huns and chucker, chuckers. Yeah. Yep. And you might confuse a guy like me, and I'm thinking you're going to go grouse shoot on. grouse, roughed grouse on the ground. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and funny. where and where I grew up and hunted them in my college days, they were called patridge. Yeah, so, pats. That's a yep. big one out in pats. New England, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I always I, I have a, sort of a fondness for the calling roughed grouse partridge because, as you can imagine, growing up here in northern Minnesota, that's what most people called them, and right. so I just it excited me as a kid to hear people talking about partridge. Right. Well, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if it's the same in Montana, but here in Wyoming, if you talk to any old timers and particularly ranchers, if you said, I want to go hunt sage grouse, they will say, you mean chickens? Mm, Cause, cause that's what they, that's what they call it. It's if maybe sage chickens to, 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 to separate them from, 
sharp tails, which they also yeah, which, call, which they also call they chickens. Call, yeah, it's, and a lot they just call them grouse, kind yeah, of like yep. I, yeah. Versus me, who I always call them sharp tails because I I call rough grouse grouse. <laughs> right. Yeah, the regionalisms and upland bird hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't even until I moved to Wyoming. I, I mean, I might have known sort of peripherally that there were other grouse. Yeah, but right. I I had never hunted any of them, and you know I've I've now been lucky enough to chase all I've I've successfully chased all of them, including the three ptarmigan species, and okay. and uh, and that's kind of one of my one of my things that I I like to set goals every once in a while just to make it more interesting and give me purpose to planning my my trips, you know. Sure. So if you've hunted prairie chickens, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've hunted I've hunted the prairie chickens in both Nebraska and South Dakota. I hunted all the ptarmigan in Alaska. Uh and the spruce grouse also in Alaska. Okay. You ever encounter any spruce grouse when you're over this way? I I, I have not my my son-in-law who lives in Montana sent me pictures of of he like what are these? Uh, and I I'm pretty sure the pictures weren't great, but they certainly looked like spruce grass rather than okay. than bluegrass because he thought they might be bluegrass. But oh, yeah. and, and it was a family group, so there was a lot of young ones that I was looking at. And as you probably know, lots of times, like even young bluegrass can look quite a bit like a rough grass because they're still brown. Yeah, they have that more mixed right. feather pattern. Yep. yep. So if you go out on your afternoon hunt mm-hmm. and you're chasing huns yep. is that the only only thing you're you're not going to see sharp tail or pheasant or anything else out there pretty much i might yeah. i might run into sharp tails okay. uh but not likely if i'm if i'm hunting marginal marginal hun country it might have sharp tails okay but but not certainly not this time of year so yeah that's pretty singular yeah, and there are pheasants, but are they basically all released? Um, the probably the majority of them around that get hunted around the state are released. There's a number of bird farms in the state, and they they do yeah. they do a lot of the you know the put and take thing. There are definitely wild pheasants around. The place that I live, which is I've, I'm on 35 acres that used to be part of a much larger ranch, and at some point in the not too distant past, it was a put and take club where they actually raised pheasants and released, you know, probably by the thousands. Um, and we have a definite wild population of birds around here. I wouldn't call it huntable, uh, but yeah. but I have the good fortune of being able to, you know, run my dogs on my own property, and you know, fifty fifty chance we'll find birds like we usually target the young birds like in august just to get some pra- yeah. practice in you know yeah yeah that's kind of nice and i i have some of that too where it's it's not every day that we're getting getting into birds which is fine because i'm usually just trying to exercise them but every mm-hmm. once in a while they'll they'll point a grouse yeah. here and one of the local trails or whatever which yeah. is good yeah so doing all these you know having hunted all these birds do you ha- is there one that stands out or a, a bird or a cover that stands out as your favorite or? Um, I, you know, I really have always just had a spot in my heart for woodcock just because they're 
weird. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're the only upland bird that we hunt. That's, that's truly migratory. They're right. You yeah. know, they're, they're, they're different in terms of what they eat and they're the, the whole here today, gone tomorrow thing. Cause when I was hunting them back in New York in particular, you know, we didn't have, I won't say we didn't have any resident birds, but we didn't have many. So, so it was all about the migration, you know? And so, so, you know, you could, I, I used to live in a spot where my closest cover was maybe 20 minutes away. And I was actually, you know, heck, this was 25 years ago. I was actually working out of my house and, and I'd get up every morning from the first day of the season and I'd shoot down to this cover just, just to see if the birds were in, you know, take, take a 45 minute run through the cover with a dog. And if I found birds, I would, you know, okay, good. The the migration's on, you know, you gotta (laughs) get back out there this afternoon or whatever. Um, so, so I really, really do like woodcock, but I would say, you know, at this point in time, probably my favorite bird to hunt is actually huns. Um, I like the, the covey nature. They're a little bit more forgiving than chuckers in the sense that they're on flatter ground typically. And you, and you also way more often have an opportunity to follow up and, you know, you're not hunting singles in the sense that you would, if you were hunting quail, but you have a reasonable chance of getting a second crack at, at them, you know, if you, if you pay attention and know a little bit about their habits. Yeah. What about on the, on the chucker, chucker hunting, thinking pointing dogs, like do you get points and you're kind of walking up and kicking up birds a lot. Like I had this feeling or this sense that like a lot of times chucker are getting up way out, not way outside of gun range, but at the edge of gun range, like on the fringe, like they're not cooperating. And maybe it's just sort of like the, the animosity that people talk <laughs> about them with sometimes. I find that is much more the case with Huns. Huns, okay. Huns, are, right. Huns are tend to be spookier. Uh, okay. and they're, they're more likely to actually run almost like, you know, little pheasants, you know, especially if the cover's thin. Yeah. Chuckers are, I would say you're correct in the sense that they, you're, you're typically not, well, almost never wading into them. You know, you're not, you're not kicking the brush to get them up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but depending on the wind and, you know, in the physical location, it's not unusual to, you know, have them get up well within gun range and and one of the things that they're famous for is that is you know it's almost like they designate one bird's like okay it's it's your turn you got to get up first you know because because a lot of times you'll <laughs> you'll have this bird that gets up at 25 yards and you, you sh- and, the gun. and you shoot and you miss <laughs> and then and yeah. then another 10 birds get up like half the distance between you and that bird so yeah. um, i feel like that's not uncommon with sharp tails from what true, i've seen too. true enough yeah <laughs> especially young yeah. ones yep yeah. <laughs> yeah they they gotta have a few tricks in their bag yeah i mean you know it's 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 old you know every everybody who hunts chuckers or has read about hunting chuckers you know, knows the, well, the rule is they run uphill, they fly downhill, they, you know, they like to run to the edge of a cliff and then fly off the edge when they're still out of range. And, you know, all of that is generally speaking accurate, but, but, you know, if you're hunting chuckers and you catch them like in a, at the head of a draw, you know, kind of like the coolies that you were describing in Montana, um, you know, they'll often hold right there if you're right 
because they're very attuned. Most of their that's their spot, and most of their predators are avian. So they're they're sure. they're all about looking up. And so if you come at them from above, they they're like, whoops, stuck. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So what that makes me think of talking about the terrain and stuff. Have you ever had? Do you ever have any incidents with dogs? You know, I mean, falling down a slope or anything crazy like that. Not really. I had a, I had actually Timber last year got a pretty good shoulder injury when he tried to jump a little. Uh, it was kind of at the head of a draw where he tried to jump the gap to a bird that I killed and was on the other side. And, and he he hit the rock on the other when he was landing and he just sort of his feet went out from under him and he just did a shoulder slam into this, you know, into this rock. And he I mean, I had a I had to leash him and, and walk him back to the truck. He was done. So, yeah. And that he did. He had soft tissue damage. We X-rayed it, but uh, he he didn't break anything. But he was yeah. he was out for a couple of weeks, solid. So, is there anything that you do to avoid serious incident? Like, do you avoid certain terrain features, or do the dogs kind of have a good? I mean, they're obviously smart. But. Yeah. I mean, my, my sense, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've had some dogs jump off of stuff that I was amazed (laughs) that they went off of and went down without any kind of incident, but I've never had one like jump off a totally 90 degree cliff, you know, I mean, uh, but I, I, that's the thing that I picture, you know, you hear about these steep drops and stuff and then you, you know, you think about birds getting up and a dog, a dog that isn't sitting there steady to wing shot fall. Right. Takes off. Yeah. And my dogs are not steady to wing shot fall, but I, yeah. and I try to be like, if I know if I'm hunting a spot that I, I know the terrain, I'm usually walking along that edge. Sure. And so any birds that are going to get up are typically inboard, if you will, of the, of the edge. And so, so therefore, so is the dog. And if the birds just go by me and they're, and they're going off the edge, I just don't shoot. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. All right. I want to circle back to quest, Uh the young setter and talk about him in his second season. His Uh, first season actually. Oh, he didn't hunt last year. No, I, I was, I was pretty dead set on taking it slow and easy and not letting him develop bad habits. And I wanted to make sure I had control before he was, he was uh, spending much time. I mean, he, he was on the, he was out there. He was at, he traveled with me wherever I went. Um, and and I did take him on, you know, short, what I would call puppy walks where I let him run, but I didn't carry a gun. Um, I did not fire a shot over him last year. Okay. Well, let's talk about then sort of the sort of the development, kind of like what your what your expectations and hopes and dreams were for going into this season, and you know now we're months into it. What have you seen? (laughs) Sure, Um, you know I I will say right out front that he seemed to me probably that he developed a little bit more slowly than any other dog I've had. Um, Timber was probably the exception in setters in. I took him to a trainer at 10 months old and, and the trainer said, well, let's see what he's got, you know, and we put him out in a field where there were some pheasants had been released, you know, and he ran 75 yards and locked onto a 12 o'clock tail point with a foot raised and, and waited for me to, I, I was like, wow, that's cool. And I walked back the 75 yards and got my camera and walked back out and he stayed there he stayed there the whole time you know and and he's been that way 
ever since he just pointed everything from day one. He just, he is and actually that is almost a detriment now. Cause he just, he points and won't move. You can't call him off or anything, but quest yeah. quest has been a little bit, you know, I mean, con- contrasting him to that. And certainly one of the beauties of, at least in my experience with Britney's and continental breeds is they tend to develop earlier. I think sort of a plug and play thing. So I, I took my, I took my time with, with quest and we spent, we did that training seminar that I told you about with Rick Smith, which was, yep. was a lot of fun and educational. And then I came back from that in August with the intent that I was going to just get him on a lot of wild birds. You know, once the, August 1st rolled around, we can run dogs on, on birds here. And, um, but we didn't have nearly the number of birds we had last year in terms of what I was seeing close by. So I had some pigeons and I, and he was pretty good on pigeons, but when we ran into huns or sharp tails in the field, he seemed to be way more interested in just running them up. I mean, and I was doing the, let them get birdie, you know, let them get crazy, just let them chase. And, uh, so, you know, along came sharp tail season on September 1st, he ran up, yep. he ran up a family, never actually pointed. And I only had two days to hunt cause I, I was on, I was leaving town to go on a fishing trip for a couple of weeks. So yeah. we hunted the first two days of September. He did not point a sharp tail. I still wasn't that concerned. He was just doing his puppy thing. Right. Then, so no no shots no, fired. No shots fired over him. And then yep. and then I took him blue grouse hunting for four or five days. And I really wasn't expecting much there because blue grouse in my experience are kind of tough birds for any pointing dog because they often see him on the ground on, on almost bare ground, you know, mm, and yeah. and then the bird starts to just walk away because they don't really perceive it as a imminent threat. And yep. most dogs just can't. Most puppies. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. most puppies are not going to stay. So, so since he was hunting, you know, it's at a distance where I couldn't generally couldn't see him when he had a bird encounter. I can't, you know, I can't say what happened, but he, I can say I didn't get any solid points out of him, so I didn't shoot any any bluegrass over him. And then we came out your way, and over the course of yep. uh, the better part of two weeks, I mean, he went from running up grouse and the occasional woodcock to by the end of that trip he was solidly pointing woodcock and he had one just stellar point on on a rough grouse um so things were starting to come together and i was feeling pretty good and then from from there we we came back and have been hunting almost entirely chuckers and huns uh with the occasional pheasant thrown in and in the last three weeks he's just well probably i guess the last five weeks he's just gone from you know puppy uh, you can't you know you don't know what you're going to get each time he yeah. he finds a bird to to now he's well he's 360 yards away pointing and holding and you know waiting for me to walk cover that distance and then That's cool. and then waiting there while i walk walk in you know on the birds and 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 he's and he and it's you know day in and day out i mean the last two days that i hunted this week, Timber again was favoring a back leg, so I just decided to rest him. Although he seems fine now, but I so I hunted Quest for two solid days, and he was just money. I mean, 
and he's and he hunts with it. I mean, he points with a tail that's like not quite twelve o'clock, but it's three quarters, and it's it's a be- yeah. it's a beautiful thing to see. And and he's yeah. and he's intense, and and he seems to me to have, and maybe I'm just reading this into this because I want to, but he he seems to sh- show an affinity or a preference for chuckers over huns. Interesting. Like, and I say that for one thing, the only birds. The only bird that he's retrieved so far has been a chucker. I, I mean, and it's <laughs> and it's not one. He's he's retrieved probably half a dozen chuckers in the last week. Um, yeah. And and he'll go to a hunt and he'll pick it up and he'll look at me and he'll put it down and he'll stand right by it. But his attitude is, you just need to come get this, you know. Um, and I'm not I'm not worried about that because my my plan you know, involves, you know, working on the retrieving in the coming summer. Yeah. I, I am a person who one, I won't, I won't have a dog that doesn't retrieve. I think that's too important a part of the circle. But on the other hand, I give them all a buy on their first year. You know, if, if they're natural, that's great, but I'm not, yeah, I'm see not, what happens naturally. Yeah. I'm not going to force them and do anything to make them less happy about birds than, you know, than they are. So, uh, they, when they get a little bit maturity and I know that they're solid, then I, I'll start to work on that. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's great, man. I, I, I love to watch him run. And, and like I said, he points with intensity and, and I've, we just sort of in the last month kind of got over this edge where I don't worry about where he is. Cause I know he's, you know, he's doing his job and when he points, he'll wait for it, you know? Yeah. So birds, 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 birds right. has been the, has been the motto for you this year. And it is fun to watch them sort of take those strides. And then when you reach that point where they do it with some consistency, like you're talking about, and then you sort of have that, we talked before we started recording about managing expectations. Right. You always know that there's, there's ups and downs and there's good days and bad days, but like to have that confidence level of like, Hey, this dog can go out and do it. Like, that's always a, a little bit of extra excitement, you know, because then every time you get that buzz on the watch, you're like, right, you know, the heart, the heart rate right. ticks up. Yeah. And, and the one thing, at least, you know, in its early days, so I don't know if this is the case or not, but I, I kind of made mention that my other dog, you know, he's he's maybe his nose is too good or maybe it's just I, I often say that Timber never quite calibrated his nose. He like he doesn't he doesn't know the difference between they were here and now they're gone versus they're here. Um, yeah. And so he, you know, I get, I get a number on any given walk with Timber. I get a number of unproductives where I get there and, and there's nothing going on. Quest, if the buzzer goes off, there's Bert. I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty, so far he's not shown any interest in pointing rabbits or, you know, false pointing, whatever. He's, Pretty much if he's locked up, I mean, if the buzzer goes off and I get there and he's locked up, there's birds. Interestingly, sometimes pretty far in front of him, and I've yet to figure out whether those are birds that are walking away from him or or, mm, yeah. or whether or not that's how far he got them from. He stuck them you know? from that distance. Yeah. yeah. That's a – I mean, I have that sort of a similar dichotomy between my two dogs, but it's in the reverse in that Rose, the younger dog – 
I get more unproductives out of her. And like, I sort of have this, you know, she's young, she's still learning, you know, and she went through, it was actually when I was hunting with you and, and your friend Chip, he got to see Rose at the peak of her snowshoe hair pointing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, she had just, I mean, this was again, early fall and she just started like, we had, I don't know, five, six, seven unproductives that day. And the last one after Chip and I had, he was chasing me and Rose all over the woods. And then he finally saw one of the hairs. And that was like the realization, like I knew something was going on, right. but that was like, oh, wow, she's really pointing them. And then she sort of had that was like a peak and then she backed off on that, but she still has, she has more unproductives than my older dog Hartley. He's way more of that. Like when he goes on point, he'll have an unproductive, right? But there's, but, but the odds that there's going to be a bird there are seem to be much greater. And I've had some conversations with Jerry, the breeder about, Mm -hmm. you know, some dogs being just being more pointy. And like, I'm wondering sort of those same things that you are like, and she she does it with so much she points so many birds that it's like well she's like something has her attention here I right. just wish I could ask her what the heck it is you know oh yeah <laughs> we all do well and 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 the you know the the added piece to that in particularly in trucker country is you know timber goes on point and and yeah he's only 150 yards away but it's all uphill you know yeah. and and, yeah. and you get there and there's nothing. Um, I actually have worked with him to, I have a command for him to, to go on where I, I trill the whistle. I just, I just blow it, you know, like beep, 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 beep. And, and, uh, yep. and it works about maybe half the time, you know, he'll like, if I blow that whistle like that and he turns his head and looks at me, I know he's full of shit. There's if, nothing. Yeah. There, yeah. If, if, cause, cause, <laughs> cause when he's solid, he, you know, he looks like a million. The intensity stays. Yeah, he yeah. looks like a million bucks. He won't turn his head. You know, if 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 I'm walking up to him and he looks over his shoulder at me, I just tell him to move on. Because <laughs> <You know>, <laughs> yeah. he won't do it if there's a bird there. Yeah, those are all those. I think about every dog does it to a certain extent. Those are just sure. like the subtleties of of reading your dog and knowing the cues. But uh, yeah, it's, and you gotta you gotta you gotta believe the dog. I mean, you ha- you just yeah. you just have to. That's just it. Because the minute you don't, you know, you bird. miss the best opportunity of the day. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Um, before we leave that, I you mentioned the the Smith seminar, and this is something like I've never dove into it on the on the podcast, and probably long overdue to. And I'd mentioned to you that I'm kind of interested in it, but what which which seminar did you attend, and then like give me a rundown on kind of what what it involved yeah I did his uh two day it's the it's the basic you know bird dog training I can't remember what they actually call the seminar okay. but uh it's it's two days you show up on a Friday night and then it's all day Saturday all day Sunday okay. um and it's uh you know, it's, it's kind of the basics starting from the, you know, putting a dog on a chain gang and teaching them how to be calm and, 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 you know, collected and, and relaxed and then walking through, we, we did stuff that went from, you know, kind of the basic, you know, calm or here, whatever you want to, you got to remember that Rick's method is called the silent command system. So he doesn't actually, yes. he doesn't use whistles or really say anything his everything that he does it's, it's which is actually very interesting um you mm-hmm. know is it's all keyed off the collar so you know we did 
some interesting things that I would never have considered, like the breeder, uh, Greg, he's got a, a, an obstacle course set up and, and the periodically throughout the day, you run the dog through the obstacle course and they like to, both he and Rick like to say that that's just kind of getting their head in the game and, and focusing, yeah, them. focusing yeah. them on, you know, on the, on the task at hand before you go off to put them on planted birds or whatever. So, um, that's cool. but you know, teaching, teaching them to heal, uh, and probably, you know, if I had to focus on one aspect of it that I found the most interesting, it was both the chain gang piece and then what Rick calls getting the dog's head, um, which if anybody who knows the Smith method, they, he uses this thing called the wonder lead, which is basically a, a, yep. a lariat. It's, you know, for those of us who in Wyoming, it looks like a, you know, was something you used to rope a calf. Um, Pig and string. Yeah. And it's, and it's, uh, so what he does is when you go to the, you know, like when you, your dog's on the chain gang, you go to the dog and if the dog is not lying down or sitting quietly, you don't take him off the chain. When yep. you, when you finally go to put him in that lead, that, that wonder lead, you basically just hold it out and go to slip it. If the dog ducks his head or looks the other way, he doesn't get off the chain gang. He's got to, he's got to stand there or sit there with his head forward and let you put that over his head, which shows he's ready. And then the part about getting their head is, you know, so you walk them out to where you're about to start, whatever it is, and you pop them with that lead until his head is pointing straight forward, looking in the same direction you are. And, you know, Rick's, you know, without, I, I can't tell you exactly how he put it, but essentially what he was saying was, you know, if that dog is looking left and you turn him loose, he's going left. If he's looking right and you turn him loose, he's going right. You, you want him. He, what Rick would say is there's only three things a bird dog needs to know. He, he needs to know to how to go with you, how to come, how to come when he's called and how to stop, you know? And he said, if the dogs will do those, if the dog will do those three things, the rest of it comes easy. So when you get, he put a lot of emphasis on when you're going to the field, you know, like, and a lot, I, I'm guilty of, of not doing this, but certainly less so now is like when you get to the field and you're going to go, you know, you want that dog to be woed. You don't turn your dog loose until you're ready to go hunting, you know, and when, and when you do turn him loose, you want to make sure he's looking in the same direction as you are. So he knows which direction you're going. And the way you turn them in the field is you get their attention and you take a step in the direction you want to go and the dog should go that way, you know? So, yeah. so how you get to all those things is, is, you know, obviously the, that's the magic in the making the sausage, but, um, but just kind of reminding me of things that I've known and nuances that maybe I never paid attention to before was, was actually really helpful for me. And, and I spent a lot of time after I came home from that working with quest on those basics. And, you know, if you look at my two dogs, when I get to, when I get to the field right now, like one of the things I typically do is I stop long before I'm going to hunt. I park someplace cause I don't want to be messing with dogs and collars when I'm right where I'm going to hunt. So, you know, I'll maybe a mile before I get to where I'm going to hunt, I'll pull over, open the tailgate, want to let the, the dogs out and let them air out, do their business, put yeah. collars on them. And to, you know, at this point in time, I could tell Timber to whoa when he's on the tailgate and he gives me the, yeah, whatever, you know, 
Yep. <laughs> and yep. but when I tell Questuo on the tailgate, he just he stands right there and he waits for me to put a collar on him and to and to you know turn him loose. So um, it just it, he and I are just way more in close communication, even when we're not talking. You know. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a couple things here. Like you're reminding me of all the shortcuts that I'm even yesterday. I just was I've been in hunting mode. And now, now I'm just sort of exercising the dogs because mm-hmm. we got snow, and I've been taking a break this week and going to let them run. And I just kind of like letting them out of the truck at the trail, and I'm thinking about, man, I could make them stand, you know. And and but it's all those little things where it's easy to just take those shortcuts and overlook those little details. But I think that's kind of the core of and the foundation of like the Smith method and what they're getting right. at is those little things. Those are what add up to make make a dog who he, who he is mm-hmm. on game day, basically. Yeah. And I'll tell you a, a, a little anecdote, which I think probably, I mean, speaks somewhat to that uh, in the sense that quest knows, like when I put him on, uh, on the back of the tailgate and tell him the, whoa, you know, he knows a, we're going hunting and, you know, B he knows yeah. to do it, but you know, Timber's a little bit more likely like, Hey, I'm thirsty, whatever. So I, so I was stopped at a place again it wasn't a place i was gonna hunt chuckers it was close but it wasn't where i was going to hunt i stopped the truck opened the tailgate took timber out because timbers you know he he's not likely to go off running around he's he wants to do his business get a drink and and then i so i put him on the ground right next to the truck and he was drinking and i opened quest's kennel he came to the edge of the tailgate and i said whoa and he stood there and i turned to do something else and when i looked back at him i was like god he's taking this really serious he's he's like he's like <laughs> he looks just like he's pointing you know i mean he looked he looked really <laughs> intense and the the wind was coming straight at the back of the truck and i had enough presence of mind to go oh that's really interesting so and i i always lift my dogs off the tailgate i don't know about you but i of yeah, that of that too. a long time ago told me that if you want your dog to have arthritis in his elbows let him jump off your tailgate every time you let him out so yeah so anyway i lifted him off the tailgate and i put him down and he took like three steps forward and his tail came up and <laughs> and i was like really and i thought that's interesting so i and meanwhile timber is still drinking you know the dog with the, the drug around. the dog <laughs> with the great nose is just he's like we're, we're not hunting you know and so i actually grabbed my shotgun and two shells and i kind of walked in front of quest and he took maybe well he crossed the two track so he was on the other side of the two track and he stopped and i walked past him and i got five yards and a covey of chuckers got up at about right at the edge of range and i didn't shoot they were probably 30 yards out and i was just like shit his his head's in the game like all the time. I yeah. mean, when you he, he's ready to play as soon as as soon as you know you open the the, the candle. So I, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's that's cool. I, I think again, one of those things that seems obvious, but having a a calm, focused dog. I mean, it that stuff matters. You know, yeah, a dog that's a dog that's racing around, going from one thing to the next, or hyped up or whatever. It's just you know much more likely to have a bump bird or a mm-hmm. goofed up contact versus a dog that's focused and in the game, basically. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely true. Definitely true. 
Well, shoot, we're uh, I'm almost getting to the point where I got to go pick up my son from preschool here. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even get a chance to ask you about the about double guns, but how are the AYAs treating you? I I've been. Uh... I've been shooting strictly my 16. That's what I usually okay. use on, on, uh, on partridge. And I, I've been really talking to myself about, uh, I have a good friend who I hunted with for a long time who says, you know, he's like, you just can't count to two, much less three when birds get up. You like, and I, <laughs> I said, I said, you know, I grew up, I was, I was hunting grouse with the first birds I ever hunted. And you yeah. don't, you don't get to count to three on grouse, you know, no. you, and, and but, you know, out here, often you do. And so I've really been trying to remind myself that I'm retired and I have more time. And killing birds is not as important as having dark birds pointed and seeing, you know, seeing good dog work and all that. So anyway, whatever it is, it seems to be working. I've been shooting reasonably well and, and, and have been lucky enough to actually scratch down a couple of doubles lately. So I, whenever I can double on, on chuckers, I, I – and I have to just say that for, you know, of course you don't see it in the grouse woods or woodcock woods, but a lot of people who hunt quail or, and, and huns, a scotch double is not that unusual. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. where you kill two birds with one shot, but I, for the first time since I've been hunting chuckers, I shot a scotch double on chuckers last week and was sh- just, wow. sh- just shocked, just shocked. And it was only because I had a relatively close shot on birds that were crossing because i was trying to outsmart the bird i knew where the dog had them from and i and i knew that they were probably well out in front of them so i actually was kind of instead of coming in from behind the dog i was i was downhill and to the side and so when they got up they were actually 90 degrees you know a crossing shot and a little bit stacked up and i pulled the trigger and two birds fell down and i was fortunately smart enough to not try to shoot a third bird because <laughs> the two birds were actually laying right next to each other which was kind of cool oh, yeah. but, but yeah. an awful lot of times with chuckers you shoot one and you think oh if i could shoot a double and you wind up maybe cripple in the second one and, right. and never finding it and i i hate losing birds so yeah what's your 16 gauge choked uh it's it's light improved and light modified because oh, i okay. that, that's that's the gun if you that I actually had built. And so yep. I, I could pick, yep. I recall checking it out. And in Spain, you know, they don't, they don't actually have improved, modified, whatever. They just have constrictions. So they just give you a table that if you're American, they give you a table of the constrictions and what they correspond to. Yeah. And, and I just picked something that was a little bit more open than both improved and modified. And it seems to be perfect for, for the partridge. Yeah. Are you still shooting that 28 that you, Showed me when I, I was there. It's a it's a twenty. It's 20. a twenty. Okay. Um, yes, and I I was fiddling around early season shooting some different guns, and I I have a couple new ones this year. I've got a the vintage twelve gauge that I killed some birds with that, but as you can imagine, switching around between guns is not not a not always a, a good idea, right? And that could, that really hurt hurt me and and i had some really bad like streaks like at one point i was i was 0 for 10 on grouse and i had shot like during that streak i shot like three different guns because i was trying everything you know Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until maybe mid-october that i finally just said you know what i really like carrying my upland gun company it's Mm -hmm. a it's a really lightweight 20 gauge 29 inch barrels and i started shooting that thing exclusively and i just put every other gun away and i it fits me really well and i 
yeah. I, I finished the season shooting a lot better than than I started. So, well, I I had I had gone into you know after after being at Pine Ridge, I had gone into the chucker season thinking that maybe the ultimate you know gun for my as I as I get older and don't want to carry much, uh, I thought maybe if I got a twenty eight gauge with a like thirty inch barrels, so it you know yeah. had a little bit more swing to it and and got it in the in the venus that that might be the ultimate late years chucker hun gun and, yep. and then i went out and started shooting the lights out with this with my 16 and i was like well, <laughs> maybe, maybe i'm not ready for that i don't know yeah i don't know yeah well those are those are nice ones i i watched you make a couple great shots with your 28 number two on rough grouse that were you know they were they were not pointed unfortunately right. we all love to shoot pointed birds but they were you know they were the wild flush birds in that if you you don't have there's no margin for error like right. if you don't if you don't get that gun up and make a good shot you're not dropping that bird and you dropped them both so <laughs> well and and as you said you you made the observation that day if i recall that probably had they been pointed i i might have missed them <laughs> Uh, and, and you said that in the nicest Speaking way, from experience. You, you said that in the nicest way, but I, but, yeah. but your point was well taken, which is that yeah. no, normally without a moment to think and just shooting entirely in, you know, instinctively, yes. uh, you often build all the lead you need into the swing just because that's what your body's used to doing. And, and so I, I think you're right. Even on, even on ducks, I've probably killed more teal that surprised me than ones that I saw coming, you know? So, uh, yeah, there's, there's truth to that for sure. Good deal, Keith. It's, uh, it's been good catching up with you. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to connect in the woods this fall and hopefully it won't be the last time, but I appreciate you taking the time to come on and chat with me. You, bet. Now, you, you do have a blog that you kind of jot down some of your adventures where can, uh, could folks check that out if they're interested? Yeah, they, they could certainly do that. I still, um, my disclaimer is that I, I started that website and blog when I was actually running a business and even though i've kept the website up it's it's more just as a as access to the blog uh so so i don't i still take groups to argentina which is what that was all about but i don't okay. i don't i don't do it as a business anymore i just do it with groups of you know friends and 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 friends of friends yeah. and we haven't done it at all in the last two years obviously but uh um, right. but yeah the blog post is is uh is where i just collect some thoughts every once in a while and and post cooking and recipe related stuff. Cause yeah, that's something maybe we should talk about the next time is I'm all yeah, about, sure. I'm all about what happens after the, after the game comes back to the table. Favorite chucker recipe. Oh gosh. Um, or, or a chucker recipe that you like to do. Well, I, last night for dinner, we had Doro Wat, which is an Ethiopian dish, mm. uh, that is usually made with chicken, but I made it with, uh, with chucker and um it's a kind of a spicy thing if you're looking to to kind of amp up flavor a little bit uh, it's it's great and actually the although the one i cooked was a modification uh there's a recipe for it and hank shaw's got a recipe for it okay uh, yeah in in his book and, it, and it, i think it's also online but that's a good one and and you know anything i i actually cook chucker often in sort of an oriental you know with the soy sauce based sauce and veggies over rice it's very good that way 
Making me hungry, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. man. Well, I got to run. I got to go pick up the little guy from school. I, I'll circle up with you again before I put this episode up. Okay. But thank you again for, for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, happy hunting. Shoot straight. Uh, we'll talk soon, buddy. Yeah, you too. Same, and thanks for having me. All right, take care. Take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. That does it for this episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Quick reminder, we are presented by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, Uplander Lifestyle, and Dakota 283. Rate, review, subscribe, like, and share. Catch you on the next episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.